Welcome to the You May Be Right Podcast, part of Elite Sports Radio, the place where New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox fans can't stand one another. Or maybe they can. Your boy JB. Wow, that's uh, self-aggrandizing, but it doesn't make it untrue. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> Yankees fans do it better, to say the least. Uh, but uh, no Paul ID, before we get to get to baseball talk, we are past the first week of March Madness, and uh, coming in, you were not too happy about your bracket. What bracket? I don't. I didn't never had a bracket. Not only did I never have a bracket, I've never filled out a bracket before. I don't know what brackets are, and moreover, um, I didn't even think that there's a word. Called bracket. He's I, lying, folks. We've been filling out a bracket like for <laughs> several years now. So I filled out two brackets. Two. Both are both are in ashes. <laughs> just, just. I mean, it's like the Targaryens came by with all their dragons and just burned them down to nothing. Um, Did you pick Wisconsin or something? No, I I had I had things like Murray State into the Elite Eight. Oh. I I ticky. T- see what I do is every year I tell myself I'm not going to do it and I do it anyway and I ticky tack <laughs> myself with unwise upset picks in the early rounds. You know I'll pick a thir- thirteen. I'll know there's going to be one thirteen four, so I'll try to guess it right. You know, and so I guessed the wrong one, or maybe I picked two 13s against fours, which is what I did this year. And so I picked too many upsets, and before I'm even at the Sweet 16, I'm kind of pretty well out of it. Not to toot my own horn, but uh, I correctly predicted 15 of the Sweet 16. That's amazing. That's really good. Like, like the only one where I screwed myself was Marquette, who I had in the eight. Wow. Yeah, uh, but I, I got Oregon going all the way there. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Um, I thought I certainly thought Murray State with Jay Morant uh, was gonna was gonna go further than they did, but uh, oh, I forget I forget who beat him now. It's I, it was so traumatic. Uh, Florida State. It was Florida State. Just uh, you know, they knew exactly what to do. They had a great game plan drawn up, and they just picked him apart. They said, you know, if, if he's the only one that's gonna score, he can't beat us alone. And they were right, you know. Yeah, uh, I I had Murray State losing to Marquette. In the first round, just because, don't get me wrong, John Moran is great. If the Knicks wind up drafting him, I'm not going to complain. But watching Murray State, because uh, Moran got hurt in that game. Right. Uh, just It from, didn't look like much, but it might have been enough to hinder him. Uh, he left the arena on crutches. Did he really? Yeah. They, oh, I didn't even see the end yeah, of it. Yeah, during, during whichever game was after theirs, uh, it... it did it cut to him in the tunnel? He was watching the game, but then I think he had to go catch the bus or and something. And he was on crutches. He was on crutches. Wow. I, I, I didn't see him below the waist, but he was definitely on crutches. Wow. Um, so he's playing hurt for most of the, for most of the second half, just for, for wa- all the second half. Just watching Moran and Murray State go up against Florida State, because um, I, I used to know a guy named Dave Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's married with two kids. One of his daughters went to Cornell, one went to Syracuse. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, Michigan, Michigan. Um, but you remember some years back, Cornell made a pretty deep run in the tournament. Right. And I think, um, so now since one of his girls went there, he and his wife uh, wound up going to a game, had some pretty good seats. Uh, and they were playing Kentucky, I think. I can't remember if this was the tournament or mar- or um, a, an exhibition game during the regular season. But Cornell's got all this momentum, and they're about to play Kentucky. 
And they're watching him practice. His wife turns to him, points to Cornell. Those are boys. Points to Kentucky. Those are men. Precisely. That's yeah. what. It, that's a little bit what it looked like. And that. Yeah. And Murray State. I mean, it's great watching the OVC and the NBC because they play fast offense. You're going to see lots of fun scoring point guards. You're going to see. I mean, Kenneth Fareed went to Moorhead State, and so you're going to see some guys who you wouldn't normally otherwise see who are actually really good. Right. But Leonard Hamilton, he's been at FSU for how long now? Yeah. yeah he's It's one of the few ACC teams that actually plays defense. Yeah, and the, and the thing is, and you could tell, so on on the one part, the, the, uh, the Florida State team was more than happy to shut down whoever wasn't Ja. And on the other, and on the other hand, you got a sense that the kids were keyed up to play against him and to defend him and to see if they, to see how well they could do because they kept throwing different bodies at him, you know. And so, I they just they, they, Murray State just didn't have enough answers for what FSU was able to bring bring to the table. It That's looks true. Like. But in happier news, uh, besides your bracket being in ashes, right, Paulie D. It's opening day. I know. It's tomorrow. I know. Well, well, today, by, by the time we're li- people are listening, it actually will be opening day. Amazing. Yeah. And we got some John Fogarty on the background to celebrate. I'm loving it. I'm <laughs> lo- I, you know, and it's going to be a little bit warmer um, than it has been in recent days on opening day, uh, which is today because we're in this weird time vortex. Um, yeah. <laughs> but spring is, look, spring is definitely springing, and it's good to be here. Um, look, uh but I'm finding that I'm in the market for something to read. I mean, I'm almost done with George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood because I got to get myself ready for Game of Thrones, which is, you know, a, a West Fire and Blood. That's the prequel, right? It's a Westeros history. Okay. So it reads like a history book, but it's all fiction. It's yeah. actually better than you'd think. We, we've reached we've reached a new level in our cold Mark Marin scope, and ladies and gentlemen, now we're talking about Game of Thrones of all things. I I, I I'm a huge I'm a so, so am I'm I. a BTGOTG. I'm a big time Game of Thrones guy. Yeah. So am I. You know, so, uh, but in honor of baseball season, though, you know, because I'm almost done with it, Fire and Blood, I'd like to pivot to something in baseball. The last baseball, co- the last baseball book I actually read was A Lefty's Legacy. Okay. Uh, the Sandy Koufax uh, biography, which was amazing. Sure. Um, and then I read some middling history about the about the 1975 season, which was which was okay if you were a Sox fan, but other than, but it wasn't wasn't like you know. Extremely engrossing if you can get your or hand, excellent. If you could get your, what hand, would you recommend? I would. Re- I have quite a few actually. The the most recent baseball book I read, I actually read back in the fall. It's by Jeff Perlman, who you might re- re- uh, remember as having written that John Rocker expose all those years ago. Right. So Jeff Perlman is apparently on top of writing that that uh, John Rocker article is a huge Mets fan, and so he wrote this book about the 1986 Mets called The Bad Guys Won. I'm not sure I can do a 1986 Mets book yet, but well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that book very specifically, but no, um, I've got a couple on deck. One of which comes out on opening day. It's by Bob Clappish of the New York Post. Yeah, I heard about this one. What's, yeah. it, what's it called? Again? It's called Inside the Empire. It's by Bob Clappish and Paul Solitarov. Solitarov. I'm, I'm probably butchering the, the the last name, but it's a it's like between 250 and 300 pages. It's about just the inner workings of the New York Yankees front office. Wow! Like they they had both the authors on the on the Michael K show last week, and they talked about just the decision to fire Joe Girardi, just how invested in analytics the Yankees are, uh, just ha- what Aaron Boone's job is and why he did get the job. So that comes out this week. Uh, another one coming out. That sounds like a good one, actually. Uh, this, that sounds really interesting. This one I'm, I'm also excited about because this one comes out in June, I think. June 4th. And I've already pre-ordered this one as well on Amazon. This one's by Mark Feinsand and Brian Hoke. Uh, Feinsand, the longtime national baseball columnist. Hoke is the longtime Yankees beat writer. 
they com- they uh, collaborated on a book called Mission 27. What's that about? It's about the Yankees' 2009 season, the last ring. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that that ought to, did they did were they able to get embedded with that team or something or is it just kind of about about the team? Uh, no, is it like you know how like a season on the brink way back? Which which is season on the brink is one of my favorite sports. Which sport. one is that? again? A season on the brink is when John Feinstein got like this unprecedented access to Bobby, one of Bobby Knight's Indiana teams. Oh, it's 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 really good. I wouldn't be, you, I wouldn't be surprised that they actually had some big interviews with the, with this book because Feinstein and Hoke they their names carry a lot of water. Yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah, absolutely more than yours and mine combined. <laughs> so I mean, times ten, I would think times a hundred. Knowing Hoke, <laughs> no, but no, but Brian's great. I mean, I I uh, he posted on Instagram about it uh, yesterday. I made a little nice comment, um, and he he liked it. All right, so yeah, I'll definitely check those. Yeah, out. All those, right. sound, those, those actually sound really good. Yeah. So what do we got? Uh, we've got uh, a few things to talk about here. You know what? Let me uh, get the timer going on this. Uh, Mike Trout has a shiny new extension. Paul D., what do you think? I think it's an other. I think Mike Trout is an otherworldly baseball player, and I think on that basis, this contract is a steal. I think it's a steal. I mean, the man, the the first guy people compare him to is Mickey Mantle. Yep, which... and I think favorably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the only real difference is that they is that he's not a switch hitter, right? Doesn't strike out as much. I mean, I haven't looked at the strikeout rates, but Mike Trout. I mean, hands down, best player in baseball. Hands he, down, it's not close. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like who, who else are you going to put in that? I mean, Al- Altuve maybe, but he's a different kind of player. Right, right, right. I mean, trying to compare, he's never going to be able to do the all the things that Mike Trout can do. Right, he doesn't bring all that Mike Trout brings to the table. Where whereas Trout brings a lot of things that Altuve brings to the table. Yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna look at look at these notes you had right here because the the actual contract it was for it, it four hundred thirty million dollars and o- that and over that, twelve years and that includes what's left on his remaining deal. Uh no no, no it, it does okay it does. yeah yeah um, I saw that on Twitter got it. Uh, but these notes you have he's averaging a nine WAR over the past seven seasons. N- Bryce Harper averaged just under four nine. That's that, that, that that's video game like. That's incre- that's incredible. No, and I don't mean it's incredible as in oh it's awesome. It's it, what I mean by incredible is if I saw that on a piece of paper I would say I don't believe that stat because that stat is so ridiculous. That's it's it's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean Mike Trout, I mean he's been he's been highly touted not just by the Angels but by Major League Baseball since he was since he was a teenager. By those numbers, if you go by dollar value of war for, let's say, the 2017 year, it was each each win above replacement was worth something like $10.5 million. Yeah. He cost $90 million a year. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I'm just going to read this this point out loud that, that uh, you sent me earlier. This Trout contract is a steal. Cost of war is about $10.5 million per year, as you just said. Angels bought 41 war from Trout, 32 war from Harper in the Phillies case. At their current averages, Trout will pay off his contract in four and a half seasons. Harper will pay his off in under eight. Now, here's the question. Mike Trout, he's not getting any younger. No. That's a very long contract to have. It is. Is that contract going to – these numbers, can he, can he be counted to put him up over the entirety of the deal? I certainly don't think so. No, absolutely not. But what I think is the point is is that if – if you if the Angels are doing what I think they're doing and purchasing a number of war, a number of wins above replacement, they're going to get those back so early in the contract that, quite frankly, 
it almost doesn't matter what he does in year 11 and 12. Is he going to be a, a nine war player in year 11 and 12? Absolutely not. Is he even going to be a four year, four war player in a year 11 and 12 of the contract? Probably not. Look at Jeter's last lengthy deal with the Yankees and yeah. what kind of player he was in the last couple of years. You know, and he was greatly diminished, and Trout's going to do the are, same are, thing. Are you talking about the, the big extension he got or the last contract he signed with the team? The very last, his last, look at his last couple of years. Yeah. Oh, God. He's yeah. a shell of himself. Of, of course, but. But I mean, that's what happens. You know, baseball players age, and their you know, and their skills, yeah. their skills erode, and, and what what have you. But Trout is such a superlative player now, and he will be, I think, a superlative player for the next such a superlative player for the next five years. Th- that this contract is actually well worth it. Yeah, and not only that, because because a lot of people, especially Phillies fans, and our friend Sam Lopresto, who we've mentioned on the on the pod several times, great, right. great friend of the podcast too, loves the show. No, he's a great guy. Yeah, um, he good writer too. Yeah, he he posted on his social media, and you and I both chimed in on this that he says the, the Trout contract is bad for baseball, and his logic being that the Angels are such a bad team that the contract isn't worth it. But you said it yourself, the way their payroll is set up, right. over the next few years, they are going to have money to spend. Now, not only that, who's the Angels GM? Billy Epler? Right. Who's his mentor? I think it's Brian Cashman. It is Brian Cashman. So... So, Epler Epler is from the Cashman uh, front office tree. Right. This is kind of like... It's it's sort of like the equivalent of... It's like if Belichick's assistant goes to be a head coach somewhere... And then wins a title of his own. This isn't Texas. This isn't Texas getting a rod in the early 2000s. Absolutely, as not. a box office draw, and let's see what we can do. Blah 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 blah. But well, also this is it's this also... is a shot across the bow and an indication to the rest of the league that the Angels intend to be there. And if yeah. they if they don't spend, I think heavily over the next couple of years, I'd be surprised because you have to with this size of contract on on your on your books. Hopefully, you, hopefully they don't find themselves in another Josh Hamilton situation. Right. No, I, I hope that too. Uh, one thing I want to get on while we still have time on this subject, um, we've been seeing a lot of extensions signed uh, at this stage of, um, for lack of a better word, the off season leading into opening day. Right. Red Sox extended Chris Sale. Everyone thinks it's a mistake. I don't. I, I I have my own thoughts about it. Yeah. All right. Well, we we can spend some time on that. But also the Met, the Mets extended Jacob Degrom. Right. Which I think was a terrible idea. Um. You don't. I the my thoughts on Degrom are this. I agree with you that the club would love a looky loo year, and that you'd love to have this year to take a look to see if he remains healthy. What I'm saying. What I'm saying is nobody knows what happened behind the scenes. And one a thought that I had. Is that what if he's what if Degrom's agent came comes to Brady Van Wagenen and says, "Look, Brody Van Wagenen, bro, bro, sorry, Brody Van Wagenen says, look, if you don't sign him this year, before the end of this year, if you don't sign him to an extension, we're going to test the free agent market. That's it. If he's healthy, we're testing it, and you don't, and and then and then you're going to compete with 29 other teams, all of whom are going to really want the services of my." What I'm saying is there might be a lot we don't know about, and it, and it might have all happened behind the scenes, and, and none of it that, that's really important to the decision might be public information or knowledge. 
Nobody. I'm saying you never know the the whole story, and a lot of things could happen to make to to result in a signing like this. But yeah, I, I I'm I'm there with you. I, they should. They, if if all things being equal, nobody makes a, a Godfather offer and says, you know, sign him or else. You got to take that year because he's a pitcher and things happen to pitchers. Yeah, I mean, John Heyman had a had a very spot on tweet. I think this was after uh, after Sale signed his extension, or maybe after Verlander got his from the Astros. Right. He tweeted, "March is the new hot stove," because I think I think players they see the lay of the free agency landscape and they say, "Okay, if I want to get my money, I better." I better like assessment situation now. Okay, is is in sales case is Boston a perfect spot? No, but he no. he knows it. He knows the front office. Right. He gets along with his teammates. I personally think that deal is a terrible idea as well. On top of Degrom's because of his shoulder issues. Well, Boston needs Sale more than Sale needs Boston. Yes. And that's why. And that's why you get a contract like that out of Boston. I don't think. I don't think Sale held them over a barrel at all. I just think it's a. It's a. It's a case of who needs who here. Yeah. Because Price is off the books in a. In a. In a I think after twenty twenty. Ivaldi, um, yeah. he's he, two Tommy John surgeries. Who knows how much longer he's going to be? And, he's gonna and Degrom's be got one Tommy John surgery, and that's why Michael K yesterday was flipping out about his contract. Right? No, I mean it may, and, 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 and rightly so, I think. But what I, what I would say is that nobody knows. You don't know if that's all the information there is about the transaction. There might be other things that that happened that that would influence such a decision that nobody ever saw. Well, in the Mets case, I think that I think that, and this is the last thing we'll touch on on, on extensions and like before we get into the meat of the show. Um, I think that in the Mets case, because they're the Mets have had a PR nightmare over the past uh, forty eight hours. Yeah, because they had to. Um, for those who haven't been following, um, they had to go to Syracuse for I don't know whether it was an exhibition game or a workout uh. because that's where their AAA team is this year. So they they had to fly from Port St. Lucie to um, to Syracuse, then to go down to Washington. The flight was delayed by several hours because of mechanical problems. And I'm wondering if, on top of that, uh, with all Noah and Noah Syndergaard chimed in on Twitter and was saying how bad this was. And that's the thing, right? So yeah. one of your one of your most one of your top and arguably most prominent players, or at least most well known players, is really throwing the team under the bus on Twitter. Uh, you know, uh, it's it, it, the the audio clip has him and the guys. They're laughing about it. You know, in the and kind of making a fool out of the Mets and. It seemed it seemed like, and Michael K called it. He really did. He said, "And watch now, the Mets are going to sign Degrom because they always fold." He said yeah. he he said that before they before they signed Degrom, and sure enough, they said they signed they they signed Degrom to an extension. Uh, it it seemed like it seemed like Syndergaard almost had almost bullied the Mets into moving on Degrom. It was crazy. Five years, one hundred thirty-seven and a half million dollars. I don't mind the length of the deal at all. I think five years is perfectly fine, but that's a lot of money to give to someone fresh off a Cy Young campaign and who has a Tommy John surgery under his belt. And you got to keep control of your clubhouse. Yeah, I mean, if you're the team, that that. I mean, it's fine for guys to grumble. I would think guys are—it's a long season, and guys grumble, and that's what they do. But they can't be grumbling to the media. There's got to be some sort it's, of repercussions. It's, it's not a good look. I mean, it, it, it isn't. Wouldn't I think the Yankees would have traded him after that? I think the I think the day after that happened, the Yankees would have traded Syndergaard. I don't think the Yankees would have stood for it. I don't know about the day after, but the uh, and I don't and a trade. I mean, I don't know how how the GM's minds work. I mean, that that's why we get paid to do this. Oh, of course. But um. But at the same time, it, I'll just leave it that it's not a good look. At a minimum on the Yankee side, a serious conversation would have been had. Absolutely. Um, but the Mets, it's 
It's the inmates running the asylum. That's if all. A, that's all I can say. If a patriot ever did that to Bill Belichick, they'd, he'd, they'd be laughed he'd, out of the he'd, league. He'd be he'd be cut the next minute. Yeah, the next minute, next second, next nanosecond. Bill Belichick would have foreseen it and have cut him even before it happened. That's why it never happens. Moving on. Okay, so <laughs> this is uh, opening day, but um, we're gonna now the way we're gonna do this, folks. Instead of the usual uh, short amount of minute timers. We're going to give each other 20 minutes apiece to do our predictions for our respective teams for the season. Uh, Paulie D., uh, let's start with you first. 20 minutes on the clock. What is your first prediction for the Boston Red Sox this season? All right, the first one is that the Red Sox are going to need bullpen help. Well, yes, Captain, obviously they are going to need bullpen help. and But that it'll come from within the organization. All right. Cora okay. thinks so. All right. So Cora's latest quote on this, or one of his one of one of his most recent quotes, is as follows: to, via WEI's Rob Bradford, one thing we found out towards the end, he said that although people outside our world think we're short on pitching, we're not, and we're going to be fine. If you look at who they're bringing, um, if you look at who who they're bringing from camp, and they're bringing the following: Barnes, Brazier, Thornburg, Workman, Hembry, Johnson, Velasquez, and Brewer. Um, if you look at who they're bringing and if you look at how, you know, what these guys, how many innings these guys pitched last year and realize that they're probably about 180 innings short, uh, short, you know, this year from what they had last Uh, year. Sorry to interrupt real quick. Sure. Did Mejia not make the team? Mejia did not make the opening day roster. Was he option to the minors? Did they release him? I don't know. I got to take a look. Okay. We can get on that. But the point is they, theoretically it's possible. For them to make up those innings. Sure. You know, Brazier throw Brazier and Thornburg each throw 40 more, another 20 for Workman. So you kind of piece it together that way. But that's, you know, and, and then Stephen Wright maybe comes back in the middle of the season and gives them some key innings maybe that they need and maybe some high leverage innings. Who knows? But that's theoretical. Their, their performances, these guys' performances in spring training, it, it, I'm just not confident that this, that this crew – alone is going to get you through the season. I mean, it's not it's not pretty. Brian Johnson pitches to a 7.59 ERA in spring training. Velasquez, 7.94. Heath Hembry, 17.18. Yeah, the, the, it's these, not, these numbers are cringeworthy. It, it, it doesn't look good. I mean, the best two are actually Brazier, Brazier and Brewer, and they're only in the threes. You know, but yeah. the, but there are guys that, you know, there are guys, um, a couple, uh, one guy, double A, one guy, triple A, and another guy in high A ball who did pitch well. Uh, Darwinson Hernandez pitched to a .82 ERA, albeit in limited action over the spring. Travis Lakins, he's, I think he's a, I believe he's a triple A player. Uh, it, uh, pitched to a 2.57 ERA. Durbin Feltman, he's high. Great eight. baseball name, by the way. Right. Yeah. He's he, no, it's good. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a good. He, I mean, he sounds like a star. I hope he is. And then last, and then lastly, Durbin Feltman, who a lot of a lot of the Twitterati are high on at 4.91 ERA over the spring. The point is. I think they think that the help is either at the major league level or it's in the organization. And I think that we're going to see some of these guys uh, maybe sooner rather than later up at the big club, especially if the bullpen falters early, which I think, quite frankly, it might. It just might. You know, the, <laughs> the spring performances were so poor. They're just, they just weren't yeah. any good. I think that you're 100% spot on that if the Red Sox are going to get bullpen help and if it, especially if it comes from within the organization right i think that's the the best case scenario for them especially when it comes to repeating because we've said this six ways to sunday the AL East is the hardest hitting 
a division in all of baseball. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. a meat grinder. Yeah, uh, and the Red Sox, they hit a lot of home runs last year. The Yankees, they set the record last year. They see more pitches than anybody, and that's yeah. and that's really what wears these guys down is how many pitches they see. Right, And uh, but I think that if you get someone like a Darwinson Hernandez, right. like a Travis Lakins, like a Durbin Feltman, someone who the Yankees and the Blue Jays and the Rays uh, someone who these guys have never seen before on the major league level, they get a little bit of an extra. They get a little bit of extra credit, right. so to speak. Because, you know? because when all when all you have to go on are minor league numbers and limited videotape, right? I mean, how how do you prepare? How do you prepare a scouting report ahead of a series? I mean, not a well. Key series at that, not well. You know, it's it's, it's akin to David Price in two thousand and eight coming out of the bullpen to face the Red Sox in the last and the in the ninth inning yep. of Game Seven. They uh, honestly, they hadn't seen him really all that much before. Didn't Pedroia get a home run off of him, or was that uh, somebody else? I mean, I think Pedroia in the ninth came close, but he didn't get it. Now somebody went yard in the ninth inning, I remember, or in the eighth inning. I don't. I don't somebody late in the game went yard. I definitely don't remember that. Yeah, but but the point the point the point being is that you know he kind of Madden had kind of hidden Price the whole series, and then he springs yeah. him on us right at the end, and quite frankly, they hadn't seen enough of him, you know, and that's what happens. But he. And even still, though, Price, is, is, I think, is the exception and not the rule in that case because, yeah, you've never seen him before, but he's also an imposing presence on the mound. He, right. He's, what, like 6'6", six, 6'7"? Six, six, but he was a kid, too, and you would expect such a moment to eat a kid like that up. Yes. You would expect the bigness of the moment. Uh, to, the, the welcome to the majors moment. Right, to get in his head, to make him wild, and he wasn't. He excelled. In that moment, in that moment at least. So yeah, that's my first prediction. I, you know, I think they're going to need bullpen help, but I think it comes from within the organization. All right. And speaking of the organization, a longtime organizational darling has made the team as one of the catchers. I did not anticipate this happening, Paulie Day. Blake Swihart, Blake Swihart's time. And so my second prediction is that one is that the Red Sox broke camp with two catchers, Christian Vasquez and Blake Swihart. One of these catchers earns a dominant role, and I think it could be Swihart's turn. I mean, he's he's certainly been with the team long enough, right? Well, he's been with them for a while. You know who did a good, who did a good uh, did good piece on this is Chris Hatfield. I'm actually very happy you mentioned this because I saw this out of the blue on Twitter yesterday. He's, I thought he, it was unbelievable. It's just a great little write up. Yeah, Chris Hatfield, executive editor of SoxProspects.com, and himself a podcaster. We should have him on the show. I I would love to. Yeah, uh, he's, to he's extremely knowledgeable. He gave yeah. us a great Twitter thread, giving us a glimpse into Swihart's history. I'll summarize it here briefly. Uh, in 2015, Swihart's call, called up, and after a little stint on the DL, he finishes the year batting 278 on 309 plate appearances. Not bad. That's really not bad not at bad all. Not bad in pretty limited time. I mean, because right? uh, granted, the, the the amount of Blake Swihart that I have seen. <laughs> right. Which is not much. Yeah. The, the, Nobody's the seen a lot I've of seen Blake, Blake Swihart play, though few and far between, I always kind of got the vibe that he was a poor man's Jorge Posada, just scrappy and hardworking. Right. Like he's a little cl- different. Yeah. Just, just just has that killer instinct that he's right. He just wants to play. Right. Um, you know, and, he, and, and to his credit, to his credit, at one point he was used as a utility guy and played six positions. But that, in, that was last year. Yeah. In 2016, he's named the starting catcher, but the Sox, for some reason, changed midstream. Yeah. And they bent in they in they uh in favor of Christian Vasquez and then Swihart gets hurt in June and is out for the season. In that year in 2016 he has fewer than 100 plate appearances. Sure. So all 2017 he's dogged by injuries. He only gets six plate appearances all year at the major league level. And in the 2018 Cora wants to, you know, Cora wants to use him, so he tries to make him utility man and he does play that year six positions last year 
including catcher, and he bats 229 and 207 plate appearances. Now, that year is funny because the Red Sox carried three catchers. They carried Vasquez, Swihart, and Sandy Leon. Yeah. And those, the, and the catchers as a whole, as catchers, batted, batted about a buck 80. Yeah, it wasn't. It, I mean, it just wasn't. I mean, they played decent. They played decent defense. I, I won't. I won't speak to how you know exactly how good or bad the defense was. They played decent defense, but the point is, you know, they're not the strongest bats in the world. Neither Vasquez or Leon. And Leon, they tried to trade him. They couldn't. They had to place him on waivers. Nobody claimed him. So now he's optioned for AAA Pawtucket. But the point with Swihart is defensively, he's not a garbage fire. You know, he's not. he's not he's not the worst thing that's ever happened. And quite frankly, his up his bat upside might be worth a look, especially if Christian Vasquez uh, scuffles early. I mean, I think I I think one of them, though, has got to earn a dominant role. I don't think they're going to do the same thing they did last year, which is really split time evenly between be, between the catchers. I think you're going to be looking at one catcher getting four to five hundred plate appearances and the other getting 100 to 200. That's that's really what I think is going to happen. So that's my second prediction. That one uh, re- well, bat, bat checking real fast because I looked sure. you, I looked at these numbers. You, you sent these numbers over for Red Sox catchers batting a buck eighty last year. About it just made me realize since Jason Veritek retired in 2011, just like the Yankees have had a problem filling the first base hole in the absence of Mark Teixeira. Right. The Red Sox have had a problem with some catchers. <laughs> yeah, they haven't. They I haven't mean, been able to find anybody consistently over the long term. I, I mean, mean so, starting in 2012, you had Jared Saltalamacchia for well, a couple of years. The salty dog wasn't bad. He wasn't terrible. He wasn't Veritek. No, he wasn't. He. I mean, nobody's been Veritek. For I mean, and, for fifteen years, and then I'm sorry, Ryan Hannigan. You you know, if he's if he does AJ Pruszynski for does, that one time, AJ Pruszynski's got a decent bet. No, but the point is, you're right. I mean, we, the catcher's been a real revolving door. And the good news is Vasquez. He, he's proven to me that he can be, even though he's not the strongest hitter, he can come through in that big moment. Right. He, he you know he did the best in the postseason. Yeah. Out of all the catchers and. And that and that is worth something, but can he? You know, can he do it over 162 game campaign? Uh, we'll see. It doesn't see. It doesn't seem like it. I mean, Sandy Leon, you wait. Those socks waved him, which had to happen. You know, at one point, Sandy Leon was betting like 357 or 380, and then he just fell right off the map. So it, he really did. It, he just fell. Just fell right off a cliff. Uh, I was hoping that it might be him, but but I guess it's not. But yeah, I think I think one of them's got to earn a dominant role. And this is and your final prediction, Paul Ad. I don't know what you're drinking with when saying this, but I definitely want to have some of it. I think I think this is true. Actually, I think okay. I think I think some of your predictions are a little pie in the sky, but I think this one's true because it's about time for the kid. Okay, and I think this year he might be able to make it happen, especially if he stays healthy. And that's Eduardo Rodriguez, Eddie Erod. Yep. At some point in the year is going to be in the Cy Young Award discussion. At okay. some point in the year. And I actually think this could be his breakout year. All right, so his win totals the last four years are as follows. 10, 3, 6, and 13. Last year he had 13 wins and only about 120 innings. Now he didn't have a great spring, 1-1 one one, with a 4.15 ERA over 13 innings. But that's, came, th- that's this year? That's this year. Okay. But he came in in great shape. Remarkable shape. He has looked in better shape. I will grant that. Remarkable shape. So his health has been the issue over the past couple of seasons. I think this year, I think I think this is the year where he finally takes the ball every five days, that he throws 180 200 innings, and he wins between 15 and 20 ball games, especially, especially with this lineup. Look at look at his start in game. If you if you doubt, if you doubt, if you are a doubter, look at his start in game four of the World Series and tell me that that's not a microcosm of the guy's career. So he shows really great stuff early on, and he holds the Dodgers scoreless through five, which is which I thought they had to take him out after five. 
you gotta take you gotta take this kid out. How could you leave him in, in there the, for much holding longer? Holding the Dodgers scoreless through five is certainly impressive, especially on the postseason they're, level. I mean, they're, look, they're the they're the fourth best team in the majors last year, but again, it's the World Series, and they are the fourth best team in the majors that year. Yeah, I mean, the the Dodgers. I mean, I, I'm gonna go out go out and say it, and any Dodgers fans who are listening, despite this being a Yankees Red Sox podcast, right. can fly to New York. Push me in front of the two train if they, <laughs> if they feel so inclined. Don't do that. Then if you push JB in front of the two train, who will I podcast with? I don't know. This the studio ghost. I guess I, JB's <laughs> ghost. All right. I guess I'm podcasting. I'll, I'll, with I'll haunt the QED in Astoria and keep doing shows <laughs> from beyond the grave. Uh, anyway, I'll, I'm going to say it right now. The Dodgers had no business being in the World Series yeah. last year. I thought I thought it was they Milwaukee. Got, I mean that the NL West was such a was such a dogfight. Until, let's say, August or September, when all of a sudden the Dodgers got real hot real fast, win the division, and after a hard-fought seven-game series with the Brewers. Brutal. A brutal series. And I'll say it right now. The Brewers would have beaten the Red Sox. I I think they could have. What's his name? Hader? Josh uh, Josh Hader, yeah. Josh Hader would have created um, a couple years ago, I think it's 2016, where the Red Sox faced the Indians in the postseason and got swept right out of the postseason. I think that was 2016. 2016. Or 2017. I, I forgot. Not, not 2017. The Yankees beat the beat the Indians and in the. It's a number. It's a number of years. It's a number of years. It's a number of years ago. Andrew okay. Miller. Andrew T- Terry Francona started using Andrew Miller like the. He adopted the high leverage posture, right? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, so this would have been 2016 because that's when the Yankees traded Miller for Clint Frazier. Gave the Red Sox fits, and Farrell didn't know what to do, and he was swept out of the playoffs. Yeah. I think a similar thing happens. I didn't think the Red Sox matched up very well with the Milwaukee Brewers, and Farrell, because of Josh Hader. And Farrell has nobody to blame for himself because no. he he created he created Andrew Miller as we know him today. Right. Right. So, so you kind of should have seen it coming, John. You can't beat me. I created you. Right. I'm your father, Andrew. No, apparently not. Appar- apparently that. Uh, and Farrell's now, I think, scouting for the Nationals or something like that. Right. Well, you know, he's you know he he had he had his illness, and I think yes, he did. I think he is. I think he's recovered, or at least uh, he's been recovered for a while. Right. Yeah. And he and he was in conversation, I think, for the. Uh, the Nationals' job before they got Dave Martinez. Surprising that he still wants to manage with all the stress it brings. I think that you know what John Farrell is a is a great pitching coach. Right. He, he and he's a baseball not, guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I have I have the guy's baseball card right. from when he was with the Indians. Um, he should not be a manager in the age of analytics. The point. The the only point I'm trying to make is that um, I think the I think the Milwaukee Brewers would have done would have given the Red Sox fits uh, last year. But going back to Erod. You really think he can be in the Cy when you say in the Cy Young discussion, what do you mean by that? I think I think that among traditionalists, I'm not sure his analytics are gonna be there because they're because quite frankly, looking at his analytics, his FIP and all the rest of it, they're probably not gonna be there. He has to take a real I think he'd have to take a well, real step forward. Well, FIP isn't entirely on the pitcher though. The FIP is more on, you know, Xander Boger, it's not being a great defensive shortstop. It's right. A, it's on like have, having to like Spin the wheels to who's going to play second base. I think if you, I think if you really drill down into Erod, he might, you know, even if he is in the Cy Young discussion, he pro- he's probably not going to be the best seen as from an advanced analytics standpoint. My point is the best pitcher in the league. But what I'm what I'm saying is that among at least among traditionalists, I think he could I think he could amass the kind of stats this year that you need to be in the Cy Young Award discussion. I think he I think he can win fifteen to twenty games, which in today's game is really what you need to to start to get there. Well, yes and no, because because wins aren't as emphasized as much anymore. Right, but I'm saying among traditionalists they are. Okay. 
And so, you know, if he if he amasses enough wins, I think he could be easily be in the Cy Young discussion. So, in, so in other words, to, to borrow another National League guy, you're saying that he essentially has to Brandon Webb himself into the conversation. I think so. Yeah, I think he can do that, but it all. Comes I think to- he's capable. I th- I think he has the tools to do it. I'm I mean, sorry. I mean, I think any pitcher can web themselves into the into an awards discussion. Right. But I think that in Erod's case, because he's primarily a fastball pitcher and teams are throwing less and less fastballs these days, he's always had issues with health. He's playing, and he's playing in the meat grinder that is the AL East. But if he stays healthy, and I think that he can, and he takes the ball every five days for 180 innings or 200 innings or 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 what have you for a full season, I think that's what we're going to be talking. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're, I think I think he can post a gaudy win number, and I think he could look really good. And quite frankly. And yeah, I mean, if he gets off to a hot start, I think he could be in, even be in a conversation for starting the All-Star game. I think this could be his year to finally kind of break out. Last year was supposed to be it, I think, but then he got injured. I think he got the high ankle sprain last year. Uh, and it did, uh, yeah, it was an it was an ankle or, or a knee that hurt. That hurt I think him. it was a high ankle sprain. And it yeah. didn't, and so it didn't quite pan out for him. But last year he had a you know he had a solid year last year, and of course he was on the playoff roster as a result. I think this is the year where he can take another step forward and be that dependable kind of workhorse that the Sox need to take the ball uh, every five days. And not only that, I mean, like you, I mean, if that is the E-Rod that shows up, just imagine the pressure it takes off the rest of the rotation. 100%. Because then Chris Sale doesn't, if, if Chris Sale's shoulder is barking, he has to miss a start, it's not the end of the world. If your fifth starter wins you 16 games. Yeah. Because who else? It, it's, How could you not make E-Rod, Sale, Porcello. Evaldi. Evaldi and Price. Right. And oh god, Porcello taking that, that line drive off the head the other day. You know he's all right. Did you see, did you see the tape immediately after? Yeah, I mean... You know what? I, I'm going to applaud right now. Right, right, right. He, 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 a manful and, job of playing it off. Ladies and gentlemen, even though Rick Porcello plays for the disgusting, vile Red Sox. You mean he, the, the great, all-powerful, and amazing. I will turn your mic off. And the world champion, the reigning <laughs> world champion Boston Red Sox. That aside, he is a Jersey boy through and through. Oh, Seton Hall prep. And folks, for those of you who aren't aware, New Jersey dudes are tough. He barked at the trainer. Yeah, he wanted to go stay in the game. He barked at him. Yeah, it's just like cut cut to me cut to me in uh in high school ball. I, I I like take a ball to the ribs and I'm like down like oh god I'm like struggling to first base right and I'm whining about it the rest of the day. I come this out guy of the takes game. Takes a line drive off the head and gets right back up. Right. Like and says so let's keep doing it. I hate the Red Sox with all my soul. You know this, <laughs> but I like I'll give credit where it's due. Yeah, it was, and and I think Red Sox Nation breathes a sigh of relief, yeah, especially I mean, when they saw his reaction on you know on the field. And I think, uh, I think that's part of the reason why he did it. To I mean, kind of, I mean, to kind of set everyone's minds at now, ease. Did you get a get a Bryce Flory uh, flashback the moment that happened? You know, <laughs> for a set, for, <laughs> we're really throwing it back today, folks. <laughs> of course, of course, you do for a second, and you wonder is he ever, you know, is he ever going to be the same? But sure. but then you see his reaction on the field, and it, and, it, and it definitely makes you feel better. It was good. It was good to be see him be able to laugh and joke about it. Yeah. Definitely, but I think that dodged, really dodged a bullet though. He really did, but I think that if Erod can take that next step forward, then right. if if Sale gets hurt, if Porcello regresses for any reason, it's health. If, if Price, right. if Price, uh, all of a sudden can't pitch in Boston anymore, right? If if Avaldi's elbow starts barking again, God forbid, right? It like it's nice to have that that safe that safety valve in the rotation. If he can become a stopper, yeah. Then, then it makes a lot of it, it. It hides a lot of flaws on this Red Sox pitching staff. It if he, really if does. he becomes a stopper, yeah, uh, I don't know. You may be right. 
hey, I may be crazy. <laughs> yep. And these are these are pretty, you know, these are pretty. I I want it to be right in my predictions. That's more when I'm make, when I'm prognosticating. What's most important to me is being right. And I pick things that I was I say, you know what? I think I'm right on this. And e, the Erod, I'm still, you know, I'm not sure because it's because it's really all about his health. Yeah. I mean, pitchers are tricky. I mean, I'm going to stop the clock here because there's 30 seconds left. Um, But pitchers are tricky in that an injury can cost them anywhere from a week to a year. Right. I mean, that's exactly why I'm against the the DeGrom extension, is that he's had one dominant year. Fine pitcher overall. Right. But Quality pitcher overall. But as a pitcher, from a mechanical, physical, and health standpoint, there is so much that can go wrong so quickly. Oh yeah, I mean, like we saw with the Yankees saw with AJ Burnett, they gave him five years, I think eighty two and a half million dollars when they signed him. Right, first year he was fine, like he he was our game two starter in all playoff series, and then the wheels fell off, and then we had to trade him and cover some of the remaining salary for a bag of peanuts. Right, the pitching decisions if they don't if if injuries come into play, can go south overnight, overnight. Anyway, so moving on to the Yankee stuff. Before we get into my predictions, fo- uh, folks, uh, Paul A.D., it's Birdwatch. Whoa! Oh, my God. So so we, uh, we're we going to need to get our tech to give us a drum roll here because in the ever be- big battle between Greg Bird and Luke Voigt for the starting first baseman job, a drum roll, please. Come on, Voigt. Wait for it. Hold on. We have a tie. Well. Aaron Boone came out today and said, or uh, yesterday for those listening, it, the lineup tomorrow, or for opening day, uh, Void is going to DH, and Bird's going to be the first baseman. There you go. Aaron Hicks' injury gave him a little more time to decide. I think I think that, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if they said, you know... We have two really qualified guys who are both healthy, and when they're when they're on, they can both mash. Why not try a platoon situation? We'll see. Why not stitch Pierceland your way to first baseman <laughs> to first baseman glory? Stitch, stitch Pierceland. That's the Red Sox yeah, first baseman. Steve base Pierce base. is on the DL, by the way. That, right, but you know when he gets back, it's going to be Stitch Pierceland. All right. Well, we don't have a lot. We got twenty minutes left, folks. So let, <laughs> let's let's get right into the Yankees predictions. All right, hit it. Paul E.D., you said these were pie in the sky. Now, I, I should preempt these by saying I did a lot of this based on the eye test. I, I didn't look at grander analytics right. and the like. Uh, now, folks, these five predictions you can read on Elite Sports New York, the Pulse of New York City Sports, because it was written by yours truly. Solid article. Thank you, thank you. The first one, and, I've, and I'm saying this again based on the eye test, just how you think Erod is going to be in the Scion conversation, I think that Masahiro Tanaka is going to win it outright. Right. Because he's fully locked in. In the spring training, he has been absolutely dealing. He's developing a knuckle curve, which was just unbelievable. I mean, hitters could not, could not, if he, sorry, I'm getting too excited about this. I'm getting, <laughs> Josh, Josh, wipe your upper lip. You've got a little, no, I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm getting, uh, watching him in spring training, I was getting, I was having memories of David Cohn in 1996. Right. In that whenever the strike, he had a two strike count and a hitter, game over. Right. You knew it was coming. When Tanaka's on, when yeah. Tanaka's on and when he's dealing, there's just no touching him. Yeah, I mean, here, here are his spring stats. He, in five starts, 2-0, 2.65 ERA in 17 innings, 23 strikeouts to just three walks. Now, do you have – so th- I have no doubt that Masahiro Tanaka, Masahiro Tanaka has the tools to be a Cy Young Award winner. 
do you have any doubts as to his durability? Not entirely, because um, people always wonder, oh, that elbow, that elbow. But he's actually right. he's actually compensated for for the uh, the partial UCL tear, which apparently is very small. Whatever happened with the so is it still torn? Does he just not want the surgery? I it's mean, really it, hard to say because um, I remember two thousand eight. Albert... He just had a baby, actually. I think. Did he? I, don't, I, don't... I, th- I think I saw that on Twitter. Either way, um, <laughs> going back to the to the UCL, Albert Pujols had, had had a torn UCL back in 2008. Wound up having an MVP year, right? So Tanaka, the way that he has evolved as a pitcher, I mean, if you, I'm looking at his fan graphs right now. So his rookie year in uh, 2014, he threw fastballs 40.6 percent of the time, and since then, every year since that number has gone. 32.5%, 31.6%, 27. 27.7%, 26.2%. Throw him junk. So he's, it's like we said about CC Sabathia. He, right. Masahiro Tanaka has become a pitcher yeah. in Major League Baseball, and he knows he can be an ace, and, and he's going to have to be with uh, Severino out for the, next, for the next month or I so. I mean, I think he's the de facto ace without Severino there. Yeah. I mean, how, heck, maybe even with Severino there, I think he's the ace. I mean, Tanaka, he's put up ace numbers before. I mean, our, the year uh, 2016, before he had problems with the long ball, 3.07 ERA. He's your only proven postseason pitcher. Yeah, and he turns it up in the postseason, too. Right. I mean, you saw what he did against the Red Sox in Absol- game two. Absolutely. And I think that here, here's why I think he's going to have a he's going to win the Cy Young this year. He knows he has problems with the long ball, so he's trying to focus more on, on you know, Z swing, swings out of the zone. Right. Or, or is that O swing? I don't know. All right. Anyway, I'm not. I'm not sure which one. Which one is which? All right, fan graphs. Let's look this up right now. We have we, we have it right in front of us. Give us the glossary fan graphs. Okay. And nobody gets hurt. All right. The O swing is percentage of pitches a batter swings at outside the strike zone. Yeah. Now, so it's his. O, so it's he's yeah. Look, so looking to increase that. Yeah. And it was. And last year it was forty point seven percent. Not bad. That's not bad at all. Oh, it means you're fooling him. Yeah. And Tanaka with it with his splitter with the the sinker and when his stuff is biting down and away down and in right depending on who he's pitching to he can do it and and he's tough to hit. he's, he's really, very he's tough, really to, tough hit. to hit when that's happening yeah and he's got ice water in his veins like right. I mean like the only it's sort of like just when CC's cutter isn't biting when when Tanaka's splitter isn't biting that's when he has to worry about the home run right but because he's stopped throwing fastballs essentially or he's cut them down tremendously like. The hitters that that see them are so few and far between. I think I think on the on the Yankees staff, he's one of the best guys um, at not allowing the opposing hitter to square him up. Yeah, like and you, you you know that if you hit a home run off a Masahiro Tanaka, it's not you, it's him. Right? You know he's he's really good about not hitting letting a home run off Tanaka doesn't make you special. <laughs> it's, he's Ooh, one, what was that? Ah. Thank you for. Uh, oh no, he just left. Um, <laughs> so it's QED's janitor. He's right. scary. <laughs> you know the. You know, staying off the fat part of the bats is something I think Tanaka has gotten better at over the years. And yeah. you know, could it be that this is the year where he puts it all together? I think so. It could be. Well, that leads, you never know. That leads me into my second prediction, and I feel that the, this Yankees team is so stacked that this is definitely a real. This could happen realistically, right? Although the stack, though they are, they are not the reigning world champions. I, I, I should, I should mention that. I should mention that. I'm going to turn off your mic these days. <laughs> anyway, I think that while Tanaka does win the Cy Young. James Paxton is going to give him a run for his money. I think James Paxton is going to have a really good year. Here are his spring numbers. Uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. Five starts. He's on my fantasy team. Gimme. Five starts, 3-0, <laughs> 2.08 ERA in 17 and a third innings, 
19 strikeouts to just six walks. Yeah, he's not screwing around. He's not screwing around. And I, and I remember lots of Yankees fans gave pause after he was after Paxton was traded to the team from the Seattle Mariners, largely because uh, Justice Sheffield went over there. Right. The deal. I I kind of stopped short too because Sheffield he was he was young he was our top prospect Paxton as great as he is had some injury issues mm-hmm. uh, but then it came out the Yankees analytics team said about Sheffield he's probably not going to be more than a three or a four right um, the way things currently are maybe he could get up to a two from the smell test too I love I love trading uh, um, I love trading for a proven commodity and James Paxton, Paxton at that point was more or less proven his he, quality was more he or less threw proven. a no hitter against a Toronto Blue Jays team that while not a playoff contender could still mash right. Um, he handles the big stage well. He's fully locked in as a pitcher. And the same thing goes with O-Swing. He's focusing on that. He's got this slider. He's got a great fastball. He's more of a fastball pitcher than Tanaka, mind right. you. But at the same time, just that he embraces being aggressive, attacking the strike zone. Any injuries he has, they, they haven't nagged. It's just been, oh, like a strain here, a nick there. I mean, I'm thinking this is the year where he gets to that 200 inning mark or close to it, and we'll see between the two of them, kind of like I think it was 1984, where Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield were jockeying for the batting title up until the end of the season. Mattingly went out hitting 343, Winfield hits 340. I wouldn't be shocked if these two had a similar fight to the death for the AL Cy Young. No, it wouldn't it? Wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they're both certainly talent-wise capable of it. Right. Whether or not it had to happen on the same team in the same year is is pretty fortuitous. But I do think Paxton is going to have a good year this year. I really hope so. I mean, because he because he's uh, who we have taken over for Sonny Gray, who was an unmitigated disaster. You know, it's just uh, the stage doesn't match the pitcher, and and that's it. He he. Some and, guys some guys get bigger under the lights. Some guys shrink. And, and he Sonny shrank. Gray has because here's the crazy part. Like he was every, nasty when he was with the A's. No, I'm talking about specifically to New York, right? Because you would think because he he had this. An article came out in the Athletic, and it was since it was picked up by all the other outlets as well. Um, Sonny Gray ripped the Yankees, saying, "Oh, they they asked me to throw this uh this crappy slider." Instead of just letting me do what I want to do, right? And to which I said, okay. I mean, like, because I, I looked at his, I looked at his, um, his Fangraphs page. He did start throwing his fastball less, and it said they they had him throwing a cutter instead of a slider, and he and he upped that usage. Mm-hmm. So they were definitely having him throw a pitch he wasn't comfortable throwing. But the home road splits were too. There was too much of a disparity. They were too uncanny. And despite him ripping the team, pretty much like calling out Cashman for for like for basically like messing him up. If you talk to CeCe, if you talk to, I guess, Judge, if you talk to any Yankee in the clubhouse, apparently he was a phenomenal teammate. Right. And, and look, he just had a bad – he just didn't do well. And I and I hope that James Paxton has the opposite experience. I think he – I actually think he's going I – mean, I, I, have, I, have no I have no reason to believe that to be – I have no reason to believe it's not going to be the case, but I have no reason to believe it is going to be the case either. Here but pa- I think Paxton could rise to the occasion. Here are Paxton's numbers from the last two years. Sure. 23 and 11, 3.40 ERA. That's over 52 starts. Um, he has 364 strikeouts and 296 in the third innings. Ks per nine, 11.1 compared to 2.4 walks per nine. He's got good stuff. The guy can strike guys out. He's got great control. Uh, Eagles like landing on him. 2.5 something, I think, or 2.6 ERA against the Red Sox lifetime. Uh, that that might be the case, but the sample size is so small. It's tiny. I think it's like two or three games. And last year. 
I took a look at this as well. Last year, he had one rough game against the Red Sox. He gave up, I think, three, uh, seven runs in three innings. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was that was last year. But I think he was just coming off an injury as well. I think but... he might. I think he might have been too. But I think we. I think we caught. I think we might have caught him on a bad day. But to be fair. You know, this is also a different Red Sox lineup. This, you know, the lineup of last year and, and certainly this year is a different Red Sox lineup. 2-0, 2.49 ERA and four starts against the Red Sox. Right. So, Which, even with a bad start mixed in, that's still very good. In limited in limited time, it's good. Yeah. It's good. And that's that's and that had to be one of the considerations. All right. Now, moving on to the next prediction, I think that Giancarlo Stanton is going to have not an MVP year, mind <laughs> you. Not, I, I'm not, he can't. I'm not, I'm not, He's I'm not, a DH. How could he? Well, he's he's playing the outfield tomorrow. JD Martinez it just it hit, batted three thirty with forty three home runs and one hundred thirty RBI and wasn't even an MVP finalist. That's what shocked me most. I didn't knew he wasn't going to get it, but he wasn't even a finalist. I, I have a question for you after you said that. Sure, this is a serious question. Right? How do those sour grapes taste? <laughs> you know that Mookie. You know Mookie got it, so it's all right. But the point is, is it is it gets to gets to the point for me for a DH is. Geez, what does a DH have to do to even get, to even get considered? I mean, Jay uh, Martinez's WAR last year was something like six point six or six point nine. The guy mashed all year. I think that Giancarlo Stanton, despite being a DH, I'm not saying he's going to have 59 home runs like he did his National League MVP Oof. year with the with the Marlins. What a year! But he hit last year. He hit 265, 38 home runs, 100 RBIs. A lot of it playing on one leg. Right. I think that this year. Now, keep in mind, all these predictions are health-dependent. Sure. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think that Stan is going to have a nice, for lack of a better word, bounce-back year. I think we'll see an uptick in batting average. He's going to have north of 40 home runs. Um, I think that he's going to—he's obviously going to have over 100 RBIs. Now, now here's now here now we're going to bleed this into the next prediction. I think Aaron Judge is going to win it, win MVP, just because he he's adjusted his approach to do no stride with two strikes mm-hmm. and just mashed in spring training because of that. I think that though Judge wins MVP after missing two months last year, I think Stan, because of lineup position, is going to have more RBIs. I could be. I mean, that could very well be. And I th- obviously, if Judge and, ma- and that's assuming the lineup stays the way it is on opening day, if Judge is even close to to Stan's production, Stan's production, and let me get to Stanton real quick. I think Stan could have a really good year this year. The one thing that I think hampered Stanton down the stretch and in the postseason, I really believe it's the moment. I don't think he'd ever been in a crucible quite like New York in the in the in the in a stretch. He'd never been in the playoffs. In, period. In a stretch run, you know, you're 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 fighting for a championship tooth and nail, and the other team wants it just as bad as you. He's been through the crucible now, and he knows yeah. kind of the 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 toll, the mental toll that that takes. And the mental preparation, I think, needed to get ready for something like that. I think you, I think you really could be looking and at a, a more, way more of a common, collected guy when the chips are down late, late this season than we saw last season when he, you know, obviously swinging at a couple of sliders way out of the zone and yeah, a, big, I mean, in a big, I, big spot. I was at that game. I was tearing my hair out. I mean, but he'd never been there before. You know, and he's and and he, maybe only, he wants to do too much, or maybe he's you know maybe he's, he's he, maybe his head's all his head's all messed up, or, or 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 whatever it is. Going through that crucible once and not succeeding, I think will you know hardens your determination to do it again. These guys are these guys are, are thoroughbreds, man. They're 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 competitors, and they want to win. Every one of them wants to win, and I think I think you really could be looking at a real bounce back year from Stan, and I think you could be looking at some real clutch production from him this year. And not only that, I mean, because in in terms of him kind of getting caught up in the mo- caught up in the moment uh, last season, 
CeCe Sabathia made a great point on his podcast, R2C2, which I cannot recommend enough. <laughs> um, yeah, it's him and Ryan Rucco. They, they, they do great. Uh, he went into detail just about how involved becoming, not, not just becoming a Yankee, but just coming to New York is you got to figure out, okay, where am I going to live? Right. Okay, now that I have a place where I'm going to live. Okay, where's my dry cleaner? Where do I have to go to run my basic errands? How do I get to work? How do I get back from work? Where like Where is everything I need around in my neighborhood that is unrelated to that? It's hard. It's a whole to-do list. I mean, you've, you're you not from New York originally. No. You, you moved here. It's a process. It is. It's a process. You know, and it takes you, about, takes you about a decade to master. Yeah, but the, the point is, like, after getting such a large to-do list that has to be completed in a short amount of time, after the fact, even if you've got, like, plenty of time to unwind, you just kind of want to go, like, <laughs> like, just kind of slump down in a chair right. and do nothing. It's an exhausting exhausting place to be or it can be yes and it's a lot and for remember now that Giancarlo Stanton is playing in the major leagues and he's a marquee guy on the on the on the most valuable team in the in the biggest franchise in the biggest city in America you know it makes you look a little bit differently at some at maybe his maybe his postseason performance I think it does and I think that he'll probably bounce back this year. I'm not saying he's going to have an A-Rod MVP year because Judge is going to have that in all likelihood. I mean, I, Judge Judge is another one. He certainly could mash or not. You know, I mean, I, he's definitely putting a greater emphasis on hitting the right field. There's no reason for him not to mash this year. Absolutely not. Especially, you know, I think Toronto and Baltimore is still going to fatten all our averages. So um, we'll see. <laughs> but the, I mean, but yeah, Judge Judge could certainly be, and I would surprise. I, I'm not not surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was in the MVP conversation at the end of the year. I mean, just he was when he was a rookie. He finished second there, right? Uh, and he's a great right fielder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, great, great DRS, great UZR, unbelievable arm. His arm is amazing. Like, the thing that I always that always sticks in my mind is last season when he makes a throw from the corner to nail a guy at second right. base, just so strong. And, and, and he's not, and he's not even like strong arming in there. He's like got got the ball. Okay, you're good. Right. Uh, but those four predictions lead me up to the last one, the fifth prediction, and you're not going to like this one. Hit me. The Yankees are going to win the AL East. Could be. I can't. I mean. If you if I was Vegas, I would say that you were right because yeah. Vegas Vegas now I th- I believe I, and I heard on the Bill Simmons podcast that for some reason the Red Sox opened the over unders at eighty nine wins. The Red Sox are now at ninety four point five wins in the over unders. And where are the Yankees at ninety five point five. That's pretty close, right? So they see. I think I, I think people. I think that I think the odds makers. The you know I think the quote unquote smart money sees it as a two horse race in the ALEs. But I think but, they but see both teams sort of coming back down to earth on the in their own way a little bit. And I think they see the Yankees as as having and I and I would agree on paper a slight edge over the Red Sox, especially when you think about their bullpen versus our you know their Yankee bullpen versus the Red Sox bullpen. I mean that's the clear advantage there. Yeah, that's one hundred percent right. But I think that uh, that Red Sox bullpen is going to be that much of a bugaboo. This it could year. be. But and where where is the Yankees? I mean, now first off, this is this isn't to, for me to dump on the Red Sox at all. No, I understand. Like the Red Sox, they played at an incredible pace last year. It, it, like it's, you can't I, duplicate it. Yeah, it, you can't do. You and can't if you, duplicate and if you do, then you're eating some special cereal that I wish I had. Has there ever been a team that's duplicated two seasons like that? Can you think of one? I can't. Not off the top of my head. Because the 19, what was it? The 1998 Yankees won 116? 100, 100 and 
114 in the regular season. 114. What do they do the next year? I think they came back down to earth. I think they didn't. They didn't have that much. You know, we have a computer. Let's look this yeah, up. Yeah, let's look this up. I, okay. I think they came back down to earth and won something in the 90s. Okay, so 1999 Yankees, which won the World Series for the second year in a row against they the were, Rams. They were, they were a frustrated. 90, 98 were, games. Right. So they come back down to earth a little bit, yeah. but still very good. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the case with the Red, with the Red Sox and the Yankees. But the different the difference is, the Red Sox they don't have Kimbrel anymore. No, they, they Kimbrel still doesn't have a team. Jeez, he's in talks with the Brewers. We'll see. Supposedly, <laughs> that, that's that's what the rumor mills say. But the Red Sox they have to they not only have to match this pace, they have to get by with a Temple of Doom rickety bridge bullpen. Right. Whereas the Yankees, they have a great bullpen. The the pitching rotation is stronger across the board. The lineup is improved uh, to a certain degree, and more importantly, Aaron Boone knows what's ex- what's expected of him this year. Aaron, he's had a year through it. Yeah, and, and Aaron Boone, he's a very academic mind, or at least he comes off as such. I think that he understands what he has to do this year. He knows that like he's got to trust the analytics a little bit more. He's got a he he knows what his job is as manager of the New York Yankees, and I think that's only going to help him. Right. I think Alex Cora is a good enough tactician. To hide the flaws in a flawed bullpen well enough to keep the Red Sox maybe leading for part of the year or very very close to the lead, but I think I could very I could very well see the Red Sox just fading just enough, especially towards the end of the year as guys get you know as guys get a little more get a little more tired, fading just enough to to get passed by the Yankees. Um, I could I could definitely see the Yankees winning the AL East. I could see the Red Sox winning the AL, AL East, though. That's the thing. With this lineup, with lineups like this, with lineups like the Red Sox and the Yankees have, if they mash all year, it's they're going to be hard to beat. Well, it's also it also goes to the level like even if they do mash all year, how they're going to how are they going to adjust in the playoffs? Because that's when you have to learn how to adjust to hit not just for power but for contact. And I don't mean mash in terms. I don't mean necessarily mash in terms of only hit you know only hit for power slugging average. But I, what I mean is, if the lineup clicks this year. In the same way that it was clicking last year for the Red Sox, I think you could still be looking at another Red Sox championship in the AL East. Well, Paulie D, you may be right, but I personally <laughs> think you're crazy. All right. Um, oh, and who? There's somebody. And Dallas Keuchel doesn't have a team anymore either. He does not. And, and he's on my fantasy team. He says he's waiting for that deal. We're just waiting. Just at this point, the Astros are going to have to give him a one-year deal and then stick him down in spring, extended spring training. Waiting for that pot of gold, Dallas. Yeah, I hope he gets it. But uh, on the whole, um, where will you be watching opening day? I will be watching opening day from nowhere. I may be able to listen to the game because I'll be at work. Oh, you guys have an afternoon game. Uh, I think so. Do we? Here we go. Look, come... check the schedule. I thought it was. Yeah, cause, yeah, because we're at one o'clock. No, we're in Seattle. I think we're. I think we're at four. All right, we've got to be at four. Yeah, pull up, pull up the Nesson feed and uh, have Teddy watch with you. You know, I've got, I've got the Major League Baseball package. All right, cool. From MLB.com, so I get all the game day audio that I want. Yep. Um You know, and I could, I could watch. You know, I could please wa- sponsor us. Please, I watch the, I watch the, I could watch the games remotely if I need to. Uh, but yeah, definitely a, a way to stick the audio in my ear. You know, if I'm at work, if I'm in the office, or I'm, you know, you know, if I'm if I'm doing something later, um, that's that's definitely really helpful. So, yeah, I'll probably be listening to the game and not watching because then Teddy's gonna need me. Yeah, but anyway, gotta put him to bed. The alarm went off following D, so it's about that time. Oh man. Yeah, we gotta go actually be baseball fans as opposed to analysts. 
Anyway, yep, folks, that is all the time we have for today. Special thanks to Elite Sports New York. Make sure to check out www.elitesportsny.com to get the latest in New York sports, the pulse of New York City sports, including all the columns from the brain of yours truly. Special thanks also to the QED and Astoria. Always a great time recording here. You can hit me up on Twitter at jbsworld3286. Paul E.D. can be found at Paul E.D. Sports. That's P-A-U-L-I-E. Feel free to send us your questions and comments on anything we discussed on the pod or whatever else happens to come to mind. Catch this and other episodes of You May Be Right podcast on EliteSportsNY.com, iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember to search You May Be Right podcast. For Paulie D, I'm JB. You know what they say, Paulie D. What's that, JB? You may be wrong, but for all I know, you may be right. Thanks for listening, folks. Enjoy opening day tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Elite Sports Radio. Stay elite. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. When I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line, I'm in a New York state of mind.